kick it. Yes, you can. Can I kick it? 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 Yes, you can. When I'm gone. Can I kick it? To all the people who can quest like a tribe does Before this, did you really know what live was? Comprehend to the track force, why? Cause getting mentions on the tip of the vibe buzz Rock and roll to the beat of the funk fuzz Wipe your feet really good on the rhythm rug If you feel the urge to freak, do the jitterbug Come and spread your arms if you really need a hug Afrocentric living is a big shrug A life filled with, that's what I love A lower plateau is what we're above if Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls Alcoholics of all ages, welcome to episode 4 of Canadian Sober, eh? I'm your host and resident alcoholic, Dougie Fresh. Go grab a snack, juice, pop, or as I like to call it, the Champagne of Waters Perrier. We'll get the show on the road shortly. Sit back, hang tight. That was Can I Kick It by A Tribe Called Quest. You can find that song, like all the other songs on this year's podcast, on Spotify. Question. Are we fellow AA members used car salesmen? (laughs) Might seem kind of weird to ask yourself that. But um, a specific image comes to my mind. That 70s-esque outfit, corny one-liners, over-the-top commercials and too good to be true prices. But when we stop and think about these people we're actually selling, do we really know? Were they selling the lifestyle? Were they selling luxury? Were they selling hopes and dreams? Selling a new life? But wait, maybe you've forgotten that they had some rather catchy one-liners or slogans. A car for all budgets accelerating the future, always there for you, better ideas driven by you, come see what we have to offer, committed to be better, feel the difference, find your own road, fuel for the soul, trade in, trade up. Question, sound familiar? I ponder these thoughts tonight after hearing an insightful three-word quote. Keep it simple. To dive a little deeper into this conversation, we're going to talk to a really good friend of mine. How you doing today, Kenny? Doing good yourself, Doug. Doing great, man. Why don't you uh, tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself, your experience, strength, and hope? Uh, first and foremost, uh, foremost, Doug, thank you uh, so much for uh, coming to me uh, and uh, asking me to be a guest on your podcast. I uh, greatly appreciate it. Um, from the deep uh, bottom of my heart. Um, like I said, uh, I currently live here. Um, well, I was born in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I currently reside in Jacksonville, Florida, but don't know too much about it. I was uh, raised in uh, San Diego, California. Um, Navy uh, was a, a Navy brat. Uh, my dad was in the Navy. So um, I learned a lot of um, drinking early in, in San Diego. And um, watching my dad drink with his friends uh, from the Navy on the weekends, 
And as I, you know, got to be a little bit older, I picked up on it. And, um, you know, and even even as a kid, I remember my father, uh, first thing he would do is uh, say, hey, Junior, uh, go to the you know the refrigerator, go get me a beer. He would allow me to open it up. I'd take that first sip before he would drink the beer. And it was just something that grew. But the very first time I got drunk, uh, I was 12 years old. Um, as I mentioned, um, you know, my dad, he had, um, he's an alcoholic or recovering alcoholic. Um, he had uh, basically um, a lot of alcohol around the house. And so basically, you know, what I would do is, okay, you know, I'll just take a little sip. Oh, yeah, it's nasty, but I was always curious, so I want to try it more. And um, that was one of the worst experiences I ever had. Um, I stained the carpet, and uh, eventually um, it grew to be a problem as I became an adult. You know, I, I drank as, you know, most teenagers do. Um, I was an athlete, so I played basketball and football. So after every game, I was, you know, ready to drink, just like any other teenager. But it didn't become a problem until probably uh, the same thing in college. I drank in college, but it didn't really pick up until after uh, I got my bachelor's degree in 2000 and uh, about 2005, 2006. And it was a transition from moving from Minnesota to Arizona and not being able to find a job or at least a job in my field, which was radio broadcasting. So I uh, went ahead, took another job just to make money to survive, but I was unhappy. And I was hanging out with my brother, his friends. They like to drink. They like to smoke. And so I kind of was the young guy that was pretty much hanging out with them and wanted to be, you know, cool and hip. But I was that guy who drank like MTDs and they were drinking malt liquor. And so um, after that, I got involved in a relationship which, um, and, well, I got engaged uh, the first time, which led me to um, uh, dealing with an abortion and spending a night in jail. And that was probably like one of the, the first or second things that kind of altered and changed my life permanently. But um, with that, uh, like I said, I spent a night in jail uh, for criminal damage in Phoenix, Arizona, which led me to leave Arizona to go to Minnesota for the first time to go to treatment. And I went to a treatment in Minneapolis, uh, North Point um, Recovery Center or something like that. Um, and while I was in that treatment, uh, on the exit, uh, I did 30 days, spent, I think, Christmas and New Year's there. And uh, the, the counselor was like, on the exit interview, was like, so what, do you, what are your plans? And I said, I'm going to join the Army. And he was like, are you, are you, are you serious? Are you sure? <laughs> and I said, yes, I'm very serious. And um, he was like, but you're, you're going to go to war. I said, I've already dealt with war mm. at home mm. and, you know, and felt like I needed to, to get on my feet. Like I said, at that time, uh, in 2008, um, I was homeless. I was basically living from uh, my parents' house, to, you know, my, my mom's house, my dad's house, my nephew's house, to friends' houses. And it was just never, never a, a good situation for me. So I joined the Army. Um, basically, the same thing. Um, I continue to drink in the army, uh, got in a lot of trouble, uh, with drinking in the army. Uh, I was uh, arrested for, um, being drunk on duty. Uh, I was a cook. So, uh, you know, we, we drank, especially if we worked on the weekends and I got arrested. Um, I, uh, almost lost my military career. It would have been hard to get a government job or a state job. Um, but I, my career was spared, but, um, I, 
was uh, also a victim of domestic violence in, in that marriage as well as during the time I was in the Army. And uh, my ex-wife ended up getting, uh, uh, got arrested for it, but I ended up almost losing my career behind it. So what the military did to kind of sweep it under the rug as a male being a victim of domestic violence, they sent me to treatment again. So this is now treatment number two. Go to treatment, uh, do 30 days, and they're, as soon as I come back, they're ready to kick me out the army. So now I'm like, what am I supposed to do? So I went ahead. I uh, went ahead and went ahead and got out the army. Um, spent a year basically just, uh, you know, on a bench, you know, you can say 365 out of those uh, days of the year, I probably spent about 300, 350 drunk. And I'm not just saying that literally. And I got sick during that time, uh, had pancreatitis, spent uh, nine days in the hospital, almost died. And um, I went ahead and I left my ex-wife, went to Minnesota and got uh, got treatment this last time through uh, the Veterans Administration in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota. Um, and during that time, I did 30 days. And I uh, basically gave myself a plan, was like, I'm going to go to school, get my master's degree. And so while I was in treatment, this last time I went ahead and I applied on a Tuesday, got accepted that Thursday. And so I went ahead, got my master's, uh, studied in South Africa at Nelson Mandela University, and now I'm currently an author, uh, wrote a book called 12 Faces of Sober that uh, basically uh, talks about, you know, almost everything that I just mentioned, if not more, goes into detail. Um, it's, it's my heart. It's, it's, it's basically um, me telling it like it is. And um, I've, I've gotten rave reviews. It's on Amazon. You can just search 12, the number 12, 12 Faces of Sober. You can get it that way. Also, on my website, 12facesofsober.com. I have merchandise for sale. Um, I also have a podcast myself. Uh, it's called 12 Faces Sober Speaks Podcast, where I interview people not only uh, in the sobriety community, but um, authors, entrepreneurs, uh, just everyday common people that have a good story to tell because I want to hear it and have a discussion. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, Am I at the time limit? I'm sorry for you to say it in the middle of it, but I want to make sure I don't want to go over. <laughs> well, uh, it's it's okay. You're you're good. Um, uh, why don't we talk about your quote? Keep it simple. Why did you choose keep it simple? Keep it simple. Um, because my uh, my sponsor uh, Marie, um, I've she's been my sponsor since 2008 when I got in trouble, and that's something that she always told me. Uh, that was something that was missing to me in the AA meetings that I was going to, even even though I would go to AA and then leave and go get something to drink afterwards. But she always hung in there with me. But when this last time I got sober, and she always seems to know, like, when I'm struggling. She always knows, like, when I'm just at a, a low point. This is Reese, like, currently. And she'll always just, like I said, I might get a text message for her before the weekend is over. And, you know, I'll tell her what's going on. And she'll just simply say, keep it simple. And so every time that I have the most hardest and toughest situation, I think back to that quote because it's like, if I don't keep it simple, it's going to take me back to a place that I don't want to be. And that would be drinking. That would be the anger. That would be police run-ins and a bunch of other stuff. 
That's that's uh that's good, Kenny. Um, can I share a quick uh, little kind of story with you? I I do a a blog, and um, I uh, I wrote a story about a, a woman here, um, in in uh, the program of uh, AA where I am, and and uh, she said uh, uh, she went to treatment facility, and it was a women's treatment facility, and um, they said keep it simple, stupid. Have you ever heard that that thing? Mm-hmm. So yeah. she, she's. My sponsor says that too. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, uh, except when she, she didn't like that. And her and her sponsor, uh, came up with keep it simple, sweetie. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So it's because we, we as alcoholics were, you know, knocked down so many times. And that phrase, keep it simple, stupid, um, I guess, uh, doesn't generate well with a lot of people. Um, well, if that if that's, I think, I think, I'll tell you this. I think it's more or less of a relationship thing. Like if you have, you know what I mean. Like if it's, you know, then then the word might be acceptable. But I don't think you probably would want to go out and say it to other people. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Well, uh, Kenny, I want to thank you for coming on uh, Canadian Sober A uh, tonight. Um, I follow you on Instagram and. Um, you got a lot of inspiring stuff and I've, I've tuned in on some of your live live feeds and um, you always have really engaging and um, really interesting guests on. And uh, you know, you always bring that, you know, I'm a foodie. Uh, so you always bring that food aspect. A lot of your guests talk about food and uh, you know, the best, best joints to, to go eat at. And uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going to have to try some of these places, um, you know, so uh you know, just thanks for, for coming on. Uh, thanks for being a positive, uh, role model for people out there. And, um, definitely, uh, yeah, if, if any, if anybody's listening to this, um, please, uh, go check out his book, 12 Faces of Sober. Uh, you can get that on Amazon and, um, he does, uh, sell t-shirts and hats, um, as well, uh, 12 Faces of Sober. Um, Kenny, thanks a lot for coming on today. And, uh, I want you to enjoy the rest of your weekend and, uh, stay fresh, my friend. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate it. And go Lakers. Go Lakers. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no way. <laughs> okay. I appreciate it, Doug. I really do. Thank you for the opportunity to let me come on and share. Um, it's always an honor to, um, you know, you know, help people. That, that's what this is all about. Um, I'm 100. On the and and I, I, just, I just love talking about it because I know that it's going to, you know, it'll help. It'll help whoever who wants to listen. For sure. 100%. All right. Um, All right. You too, Kenny. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Wow. That was, uh, that was Kenny, uh, 12 faces of sober. Um, Oh, geez. That was a, that was a really good share. I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, to dive back into the story, I didn't know that when I joined, uh, AA five plus years ago, that slogans would become, become a big part of my life, a big part of my recovery. So you see, enter the used salesman. All of a sudden I was bombarded with words, phrases, usually uttered by old timers, trying to encourage me, the newcomer to hold fast to my sobriety. I must admit that these slogans were a bit overwhelming at first heard. 
especially as they're constantly repeated without context of their deeper meaning. Some of these time-honored slogans were One Day at a Time, Easy Does It, Let Go, Let God, First Things First, and tonight's quote, Keep It Simple. In that moment, we felt like we were at a used car lot. We felt harassed, often the primary reason why people avoid these car dealerships. It's almost like these people have pushy sales <laughs> syndrome. They're housing crappy clunkers and feel pressure to move them. But wait, in this scenario, aren't we the crappy clunker that AA is trying to move? It's hard to think of yourself as a crappy clunker, yet sometimes those used car lots have some beautiful rides. They just need a little TLC. So, is it the used car salesman actually getting a bum rap? Does he know that he needs a little pizzazz to draw you in with a little song or dance? He must know amongst all of those used vehicles is a drive forward that somebody desperately needs. He isn't afraid to literally sing or dance if that's what helps you get into that car. And yes, sometimes we pick the wrong car and it will be a nightmare. But because sometimes that path forward isn't always the first one chosen. So we try again, but maybe a different lot. Once again, I'd like to thank you all for joining me tonight as we embark on Season 2 of Canadian Sobre. If you would like to follow me, you can do so on Instagram at DougMatthews4, D-O-U-G-M-A-T-H-E-W-S. I want to thank Kenny again from 12 Faces of Sober for joining us tonight. I hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. Enjoy it wherever you are in the world. Peace and love from the great north. And we'll see you next week on Canadian Sober, eh? Hey, by the way, where's my Perrier sponsorship? I do love a good Perrier. Peace out. Like a breath of fresh air.